and instead of saying like oh excuse me just stand behind this line or something it was a no 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 <laughs> like that kind of thing and it was so stupid hello i'm mark i'm justin we're the j-pops and we are attempting parenting in japan welcome to episode 49 Today is all about Justin's travel back to Japan from America and his dreadful experience with that. But (laughs) first, we have some updates. (laughs) Uh, It's funny that Mark and I didn't even pre-game how the experience went, but you just went out on a limb, guessed that it was dreadful, and are 100% right. Yeah, there's nothing that could be good about that experience. (laughs) (laughs) foregone conclusion uh i'm back in japan that's the major news it's crazy thank you it's been four and a half months and um i'm also coming back to a house that i only lived in for about a month and a half so uh, it's like i don't know where anything is in this house and (laughs) it's just like experiencing this house for the first time because you know it didn't have time to imprint on my brain really um, it's got to so, be pretty nice, though. Yeah, it's do new you, environment. Do you find that you've come back to your old new house with fresh eyes and see it in a different way? Um, I suppose it's just that we came back with like four full suitcases and um, there's so much stuff to unpack on the first day. Oh. And then the house was only half unpacked to begin with. So you'll unpack something and be like, I'd like to put this in Nico's room. Oh, which is being renovated and he can't put anything in there. Okay. So it's like you're piling, you're unpacking into temporary places so that you can then organize them later. And it's just kind of disorganization heaped on disorganization at our house right now. Gotcha. But um, you just got to shovel through it all, I guess. It's just, it takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah. So um, I don't know about um, like appreciating the house in new ways. It's just navigating the house in new ways, really. Um, and uh, of course, we're wildly jet lagged. Um, my, I think the schedule we're on now, everybody seems to be waking up at four o'clock in the morning and making it until about 10 o'clock in the morning. And then yesterday I took a six hour nap from like 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And wow. uh Nico and Ayumi both took about a 12 hour nap from <laughs> 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And oh, um, no. I was mildly worried a few times thinking that is there like a carbon monoxide in this leak, a carbon monoxide leak in this house that I didn't know about. Um, but uh, yeah, everything was fine. They just I think it's the exhaustion of traveling. Plus the jet yeah. lag, like wanting to catch up on your sleep at an odd time. But yeah, there was a big 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. nap yesterday. And wow. um, I don't know what's going to happen today, but everybody's so far off. Uh, I don't exactly have advice for getting your baby over jet lag other than just, you know, pick them up and wake them up at whatever time you need to. But right. try to do it judiciously so that he's not in a horrible mood for like three days in a row. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, yesterday was our first day back and kind of all bets were off. It's just like, do whatever you want and catch up on sleep. And uh, maybe we'll start the process today. Man, I don't, I don't look forward to that. 
Yeah. The the key difference is that I think I said this before, babies have no reason to be awake at any given time because they can sleep while you're holding them or they can, you know, yeah. just sleep where they land basically. And uh, adults, whenever you travel somewhere, they'll be like, okay, I'll come over at two tomorrow. You know, whether you're traveling or coming home, you'll have like right. appointments to keep up and stuff. So you'll have to force yourself onto it. But babies do not care. And uh, therefore it takes them a long time to get over jet lag. So you just right. have to, in my limited experience, kind of gently nudge them toward being awake at the right times. Try not to get the tears coming out while you do it. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know how your baby is, but Nico is like, if you pick him up, then he's awake. You know, he's, I guess, kind of a light sleeper, or a medium sleeper. And uh, oh. if you, you're, he's easy to roust, if that's the right word. Yeah, I think Coda, Coda's got, the, got a window. It's like a mm-hmm. good like 20 minute window when he first falls asleep. Like you can probably wake him up in that time. But if he mm-hmm. goes beyond that, then he's out and it's mm-hmm. really hard to wake him up. Oh, interesting. So it may take him a little longer to get over the old jet lag. Nico is so easy. You know, when we left America, my uh, mom came to pick us up and uh, she arrived at three o'clock in the morning. And he usually gets up at like between mm-hmm. 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. So he probably right. only had about four hours of sleep or so. All of us did. Um, but when we picked him up out of the bed at 3 or 3.15, he was awake and uh, ready to go. Hmm. And then, you know, we went to drove 45 minutes, standing in line at the airport. He was awake the whole time. And um, wow. I think it was we had a like an hour long flight from Evansville, Indiana to Atlanta. Uh, and I think he was awake for that whole thing maybe nodded off, but then awake in the Atlanta airport. And then on the longer flight, he did, you know, conk out. Uh, mm, that's good. When you get the kid up at three, then like all of his nap schedule is just blasted for the rest of the day. And then uh, when you wind up on the other side of the world, whatever nap schedule you could salvage is like totally flipped on its head. So it's just, yeah. it's like sleep chaos and you just kind of like, you have to start at square one again. But anyway, that's uh uh, the the positive I would say is um, Nico's so cool about not really crying unless he definitely needs something, and mm. uh, the only thing he definitely needs is um, to get his diaper changed or to eat. And he didn't have any horrible diaper situations on the plane, so he would only get nice. even mildly fussy every like three four hours when he wanted to eat something. Um, gotcha. And uh, I would say on the it was 13 hours back from Atlanta to Tokyo. Um, I'd say he spent like maybe five or 10 minutes of that 13 hours actually crying. You know, damn, that's like pretty good then. Yeah, he's just um, for one thing, he wants to be held by us and entertained by us, you know, so that's what he had because we right. were confined to our seats and just held him the whole time. Uh, yeah. So that need was being met. And I think it was like sort of max entertainment for him. And, uh, you know, a lot of people walking by a lot of stuff for him to look at and flight attendants kept right. coming over and like talking to him and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that might be a rare case, uh, on the tiny flight from Tokyo back to Komatsu. It's like the one hour at the very end of the, the travel for us. Uh, there was another baby on there who just screamed and screamed and <laughs> screamed, you know, for it's only takes less than an hour, but the baby yeah. screamed for like more than half of it. And, uh, oh my God. Nico's a sympathetic crier, but he was pretty tired at that point, so he slept on that flight. And then occasionally oh. the crying would wake him up, and he'd go, uh, uh. but then I, I 
kept one of his ears pressed against my chest and then I used my hand to cover up his other ear and kind mm-hmm. of uh you know held onto his head that way and I think that drowned it out enough and um he so, didn't go off the rails. He didn't have any like ear pressure problems cuz that that's a lot of the reason something of the babies cry is like mm-hmm. their ears try to pop but they can't so it hurts. Yeah. You didn't I've notice any of that? that. Um I didn't notice it in him, and there are people online who swear by nursing during takeoff and through the rapid like elevation gain, because when you nurse, oh. the baby's swallowing, and then that like equalizes or releases oh. the pressure in the ears. Right. So I heard some uh, like bloggers, uh, some women or YouTubers or something saying like, "I always nurse during takeoff and for the first ten minutes or something." Um, when the ears will be popping the most. And then other people said, like, my baby's never had a problem. I don't really do this or care. Um, I think, uh, so it's kind of 50-50, that advice. But if your kid flips out, then that's one potential solution. I think we had a little bit of nursing going on just by coincidence um, when we were kind of settling into the plane rides. Not religiously, but um, we did it a bit. So Nico was fine mm-hmm. there. Yeah. How was the uh, the seating situation? You guys are against the uh, the bulkhead, right? So... You didn't yeah. have anybody in front of you leaning their seat back. Yeah, and that's pretty nice. Um, if you had that's such a wild card. If somebody reclined the whole time, um, that would be horrible. When we went to America, we had two seats side by side. You know, in a, uh, the middle section, which has three, and there was a random dude directly to my right. Um, <laughs> but Nico was only six months old at that time, so we just kind of laid there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time. On the way back, we got the bulkhead seats, and I noticed that our ticketing said D and F. And I was like, wait a minute, there's an E that's not accounted for here. And uh, we got on, and sure enough, there was a free seat between us, buddy. Oh, wow. We got the the free, totally freebie seat in the middle. Um, I'm surprised you guys didn't have a full plane then. Yeah, it was nearly full. I looked around and noticed just the odd seat here and there that was vacant. Huh. Um, I don't know what they do with the bulkhead seating or how they give people priority for that. Uh, but when we got our uh, our boarding passes, you know, sometimes at the very first airport, they'll print all of your boarding passes. Yeah. So at the very first airport, they printed a boarding pass for that second flight that said the seats were in row 41. Uh, Mm. but actually the bulkhead seat was row 40. So I went up to the gate agent like just 30 minutes or I don't know, 45 minutes before the flight. And I was like, Hey, are we really in, in this seat or what should we do? And they were like, Oh, let me take care of that. And then she just printed off other ones and gave them to me and they were forties. So I don't know if there were some people in the forties because when we sat down in the forties, there were people right behind us in 41. So I assume they just override their tickets and push them back. If you have a baby. Maybe. Yeah. I'm pretty anal about like what seats I get and like where I sit on a plane, so I always pick that well in advance. Yeah, and I would know if somebody moved me. Yeah, I assume sure. other people would too. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if even the bulkhead seating says like, okay, you can reserve this, but you might be booted out of it for higher priority people, like babies on, or people with handicaps or something. We just bought tickets to go to Seattle in mm-hmm. like three weeks now beginning of february mm-hmm. and uh bulkhead seating was not an option to be purchased like they're just oh, locked okay. out okay so i assume they just save those and reserve them for people who go to the gate that day and say like hey uh-huh. i need i need this area for my sanity 
Yeah, so that's the last little shuffle. So they probably sell that much seating, but they just don't assign it to anyone or something like that. Maybe. Well, um, either way, this was wonderful because the ticket that you get with a child under two, um, I think it's always under two. It could be under one for like different airlines for a variety of reasons. But uh, from what I've seen, a child under two, you get a ticket called like a child in lap um, yeah. ticket. And on a domestic flight, that's free. You just put the child in your lap. On an international flight, it's an extra 10% of whatever your ticket cost was. So you attach right. the baby to one of the parents and say, this parent will have a child in the lap. Uh, and then there's a 10% charge on top of that. So by paying 10%, but then by them giving us the extra seat, it was like we had three seats and uh, or like we had paid for three seats. And it was glorious. Hmm. I mean, we just piled all of our crap in the middle. Um, Nico could like stretch his legs out into the empty seat while he was nursing oh, and he could fall nice. asleep. We also reserved the uh, uh, the bassinet that clips into the bulkhead. There are these little holes in the bulkhead and the bassinet has two little pins and you can just pop it in. Um, but on the way to America four and a half months ago, uh, like Nico was not having it. He just didn't like to be there because the, the plane right. bounces a little bit. People walk by um, he, and it's noisy on a plane. So he's yeah. kind of, uh, and he's like, nobody's holding him. So he's just not happy up there. And I read about that as well, that a lot of people reported that. So we just piled some stuff in the bassinet and use it as a shelf basically. But on mm -hmm. the way back to Japan, um, we did the same. We had the bassinet and then we put like a bag in there just a diaper bag. And then a flight attendant came by and said, Oh, you can't put anything in there. That's only for the baby. And we yep. were like, okay. So, uh, then it just became, <laughs> uh, an object in our way, a hindrance. So I took it you off. Can't the just wall. give it back. I did. Yeah. I gave it oh, back okay. to because, uh, at least Nico is not happy in there. And now he's at the age where he can easily pull himself up and, you know, he's right. a lot more mobile. So if you put him in there and then if both parents nodded off, you know, you wouldn't be comfortable that he's not going to get himself out of the tiny bassinet on the wall. Right. Exactly. And that'd be like a two foot drop down to the floor. So anyway, it was just in our way and I ditched it within a, an hour or two of the flight and we just hmm. made do, but we had a third seat, so it was all fine. Well, this isn't sounding as terrible as I expected. In fact, this is probably like the most ideal situation <laughs> yeah that flight was good um that long flight was pretty easy and pretty good uh i'll say that the major major issue came up when we landed in tokyo and mm. uh we had a four-hour layover and um that's fine because when you land in the new country you have to go through customs so yeah. we're anticipating we've got to collect all of our bags we've got to because we have four bags one of them was a table saw in the box, right? <laughs> uh, we had three regular bags and a table saw, and I had weighed them out all perfectly to either forty-nine or fifty pounds. There, or in the Japanese way, I think it's twenty-three kilograms, and they were all yeah. right at the edge. So we're carrying two hundred pounds of luggage that we've like with us, plus Nico, plus many carry-ons because it's like diaper bag and laptop and yeah. all that stuff. We've got to navigate all that, get it through customs, recheck it in, and I thought four hours would be good, and it took every bit of the four hours to the point that we were running at the end to catch the last flight. I oh, mean, it geez. was four hours and there were no, uh, I think there were no diaper changes. There was definitely no feeding. It was all airport business problem after problem after problem. And, oh, uh, we boarded the plane. I mean, we like ran to the final gate and they were boarding the, the flight as we approached it. So that, 
four hours in Tokyo was a huge wreck. And here are the reasons it was a huge wreck. (laughs) Everybody's travel story is boring to everybody else. So this isn't really like just my travel story and all the bad luck that happened to me. This is just like what to expect if you arrive in Tokyo in 2023. Um, Mm. First of all, they, as soon as we got off the plane, they were saying there were a bunch of people with signs like staff that said like, uh, you need to download the app or you need to enter your COVID information oh. or whatever. And you're like, wait, so you want plane loads of people who may or may not speak the language to all get out their smartphone and right. to like process some COVID information on it. And so they set up like a whole zone with temporary tables. And I mean, they had, if not dozens, they had hundreds of extra staff members like sitting with you and your cell phone. And you have to fill out page after page of like, my name and my information and click next and confirm and agree and all this stuff. And finally that gives you a QR code on your phone and then you scan the QR code and then they take your vaccination record like on paper and they combine it. So now you have some digital record of your vaccination and I'm, I'm sure that this is possible beforehand. Um, it's just yeah. like we didn't know about it or what to do. And uh, meanwhile, they're getting everybody to do it. And it was such a log jam as soon as you step off the plane. And meanwhile, we're in like hour 23 of travel at this point. And uh, it's like, get your phones out. Let's do something complicated with technology. Here we go. So you guys didn't have the app on your phones that records all your your vaccines already? Uh, We didn't have it yeah going through tokyo but you got all your vaccines in japan prior to leaving so you didn't have to do anything in america right we got three in japan uh but then the timing was such that ayumi and i both got an additional booster in america and nico got his first shot in america and his second oh, shot right, right. yeah okay. so we each got one there and uh the boy got two so we okay. had like also Japanese documentation and English documentation right. and um, we handed it all over to them after like signing up for this thing online. It was just like uh, a log jam because from there you go right into um, uh, immigration, I guess. Right. So then you're in yeah. the immigration line from there, you go to pick up your 200 pounds of luggage and then you go to customs and it's lines everywhere. I mean, multiple planes letting off and, uh, that was complicated and <laughs> my main is that Nari, narita uh it was in haneda in haneda, haneda. okay but my main complaint with it is like uh it seems like one of those solutions where somebody said oh let's make everybody do it digitally and then everyone was like yeah yeah, yeah let's do that not thinking about the tens of thousands of people who are like right. workers and uh, flyers alike on a daily basis who are going to have to go through this complicated thing. Meanwhile, COVID policy is relaxing and changing month by month. So right. I think that next time I leave or enter Japan, this will not be a part of it. So right. um, I don't know who's, I mean, maybe there are business people who are traveling like every couple of weeks and this streamlines it for them. But I imagine like 98% of travelers will only ever do this once and then the policy will disappear and it will just have been more complexity and more missed flights for people because it added this time, you know, uh, in transit. Well, at least you guys don't have to go through the cattle corralling of people trying to get them through PCR tests and all that crap. Oh, yeah, that uh, I was 
I didn't fly during that era of COVID. Um, so or the three days staying in a hotel with literally nothing to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and to my point, that's just how much it's changed. So right. I assume like another round of that sort of change will happen. You know, a year or two from now when I go home next. Yeah. And this will not be part of it. So it seems like a big old Band-Aid on a problem that's like rapidly um, fixing in other ways. Yeah. And uh, it was just like, yeah, it, it wasn't a lot of fun. That was only problem number one in Tokyo at Haneda Airport. The other thing is this is specific to traveling with a child. There are like what I can deduce here is there are three difficulties that are going to come to a head if you're traveling with a child like this. Mm -hmm. And the first is that a child in lap seat is a complicated ticket because it's like a ticket for Mm -hmm. one person, but then a ticket for a second person attached to that same seat. And this causes trouble uh, because it's just not normal. Right. And then there's also the question of like, well, there are three of you. Why do you have two tickets? Oh, that ticket's for an infant. Okay. I get it. It's child in lap. Cause you could just buy a seat for your kid as well. If you wanted yeah. to spend the extra money and guarantee yourself the third seat. So it's, um, it's not normal. And then the, the second thing that piles onto this is that flights are often rescheduled. So, uh, you're, you know, you'll still have your seat, but then it's a matter of like the flight time is rescheduled. So then the whole system has to like update itself. And if Mm -hmm. you've got a complicated ticket that then the system is trying to update, there's opportunity for failure there. Then the third thing is that on a long flight like this, you're invariably going to have to like, you know, we were flying into the Japan on Delta and then we switched on to a Japan airlines or JAL flight. And so you've got two airlines. Meanwhile, we booked it through orbits. So it's like the booking comes from here. There's an airline doing the arrival and a different airline doing the departure. And you've got these three entities and it's a complicated ticket on a rescheduled flight that three entities need to coordinate on. And Mm -hmm. this absolutely fell apart in Haneda. And (laughs) we, we landed in Haneda. We went up to the desk at JAL and they were like, Oh yeah, we can't find you in the system, and you know to get to <laughs> <See> ya. <laughs> yeah. And again, remember this is twenty three hours into the travel uh, that ended up taking us like twenty six hours or something. Um, and I hadn't slept even a moment uh, of that twenty three hours, and meanwhile I was coming off of like four hours of sleep, leading right. to this big you know day of wakefulness that I had. So um, <laughs> at the jail desk, they said, "You're not in the system." And we're like, well, clearly we are. I mean, all of our bags and stuff are labeled to go to Komatsu already and um, just keep searching. But they couldn't find it. So then, and this is ludicrous. At the JAL desk, they said like, well, you'll have to talk to Delta. And um, then, you know, you can call Delta. And it's like, call an airline? (laughs) Has that ever worked for anyone in any case? But there's a Delta desk on a different floor of that airport. So I just ran my wife was standing with like 200 pounds of luggage and like five different carry-ons that we cobbled together <laughs> and nico uh and nico uh was the real mvp of this whole thing because he was cool for the whole four hour layover just like nice. giggling and waving at people and smiling he could have been crying for four hours or he could have been very hungry or he could oh, have crapped yeah. himself like anything could have happened but he was just chilling and like smiling at people nice. uh so 
I ran to the the Delta desk, explained it to them. They got on the phone. They said, okay, it's solved. I went back down to Jal and Jal said, um, okay, yeah, you and your wife are uh, in the system. We couldn't find your baby though. So we can't, we, you're, you can't get on yet. We can't take these bags. <laughs> and um, because it was the, you know, parent child seat in uh, the child in lap ticket or whatever. Oh my God. So, Can't they use the phone? Figure something yeah, out. <laughs> no, no. So uh, I was like, okay, let me run back up to a different floor of the airport again. Uh, but I think it's down to that complicated ticket again. Like somehow Nico's name didn't make it through the process. So I went and talked to them again and it took another period of time. And then I went back down and they finally said, oh, okay, okay. Your kid's on the ticket now, but uh, we've waited too long and we can't accept your bags. You sons of bitches. So two hundred pounds of luggage, <laughs> one of which is a table saw and a cardboard box. Oh my god. Um, They're like, we can't take it. So if you could take all of that luggage onto a uh, a bus and ride the bus over to a different building and then you can check it in there. And at this point I was furious because it's their problem and I'm the one running around the airport to solve it. Like I paid for a ticket. It's my job oh, is done. Man you know and so um we we pulled the the jowl staff aside the japan airline staff and um we just thoroughly complained to her i said the word failure several times um i, I said you understand this is a other f words yeah. i said do you understand this is a baby and you understand we're in the 23rd hour of travel right now and you also understand that you had about an hour and a half to accept our bags and you just didn't do it. And you never warned us that this window was closing to take 200 pounds. So then I said, so who's coming with us? Who among your staff is coming with us to take our bags to the other place? Yeah, and, to make um, sure they get checked in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I've been told things several times today and none of it's come true. So I don't even think I can check them in at the next building. Um, and uh, it was just a, a thorough bitching out of the, the JAL staff. And we said like, this may be Delta's fault. It may be your fault, but ultimately it's that you're not communicating well and it's yeah. on you to figure this stuff out. And thank God I'm here to solve the airline's problems and run up and down the stairs uh, yeah. because you really can't do it yourself. Yeah. But, um, anyway, uh, so that was very frustrating. And again, uh, Nico's the variable and he's just such a good boy all the time <laughs> that it was no problem. But if you can imagine like layering in screaming or, a cold or like, Oh, he crapped through oh, his no. clothes. Like any of those things, then um, I don't know what would have happened. We probably would have missed it because as it was with him being as good mm. as he could possibly be, we still had to run to finally catch the, the last plane on the last leg. Oh, and crazy. I mean, we didn't take a moment for it. We didn't eat anything. We didn't feed the baby. No diaper chain. It was just like all sorting out the tickets for four hours. And uh, that's the state of Hanida. <laughs> at this point. So I would say to anyone who's traveling like this, that's the thing to look out for because mm. it was just my experience, but everybody's going to deal with um, the child in lap seat ticket, which is complicated. And these days, everything is rescheduled, especially if it's a you know complex flight with multiple legs of the journey uh, with yeah. the US staffing problems and the weather and COVID and all that stuff. Everything gets rescheduled. And when you're traveling far, you're going to have to be on a couple of different airlines. And as far as I know, everybody like books through orbits or like, what do you book through Expedia or something? I think we went straight through Delta actually. Oh, okay. Actually, so, we're pretty, we're pretty fortunate 
we don't have to deal with any transfer flights because we're going to oh, yeah. drive straight over because mm-hmm. we got a dog. We got to drop the dog off with Moe's mom. So we're going to drive over. Then we just catch one flight from Haneda to Seattle. That's it. And, Get and off the plane and we're done. Yeah. So that's none nice. of that hassle. And the flights from Seattle to Haneda they never get delayed or scheduled really. It's just like oh, the yeah. same flight. I've been on the exact same plane like 10 times now. <laughs> <laughs> That's convenient. Cause yeah. getting to Kentucky is like getting to Narnia or something like yeah. you know, it's so difficult. And it's kind of in the middle of A things. Wardrobe when, would have been useful. <laughs> exactly. And when you arrive like in your airport, it's still an hour or two drive to get to where I live in rural Kentucky. Right. So, um, it just adds and adds to the the travel time. So if you're going far uh, with the the um, you know changing airlines, changing planes, and like having three different flights to take and stuff, then I foresee this happening to uh, anyone listening. Yeah, got a similar situation. Yeah, for sure. I've heard about some nightmare stories recently from flights. You're not the only one, I think. Yeah. Um, the thing that annoyed me too was uh, about Jal. Like when we got on that last plane to come to Komatsu, mm. uh, then that plane was enormous for some reason. Uh, really? Was, like not as big as the one we took, but it was like, uh, I guess, like two seats on each side near the windows, but then a three seat aisle in the middle, you know? Oh, so wow. Was, yeah. And it had like the two aisles, right? It was like a couple Crazy. of seats aisle three seats aisle two seats and it was definitely like first class and then whatever is between first class and coach and then s- sections of coach and i don't know how many people it set a few 200 250 or something um and there were probably like 17 people on it and they pushed all of us back into coach into one cramped section of it so what? This, yeah this plane that i mean easily set 200 people um there were people directly behind me and people directly in front of me. And the baby that was crying was like two rows up and to my right. Oh my and God. It was entire sections of, them, I guess for cleaning purposes and like, you know, giving people snacks and drinks and stuff. They just keep them clumped together. But then you've got the old like uh, hell is other people situation that you've got to get through and like, oh, yeah, baby's crying. Oh, can't recline. Wow. Wish I weren't so cramped in this empty plane. Um, Looking up at the desert in front of you. (laughs) Exactly. As far as the eye can see, just empty seat. (laughs) And then to cap it all off, the two things were that it was that situation on the plane and Jal had performed so horribly for a couple of hours at the the airport. Yeah. You could have easily said, we've caused you a lot of problems by not communicating well with your other carrier and by not being able to handle your luggage, making you do that yourself and, you know, not giving you any exceptions or taking it. We're going to bump you up to first class and we'll give you a third seat to put the baby in. Because we've got about, I don't know, 200 free ones on this flight coming up. Right. But never crossed their mind. And uh, it was just so annoying after all the trouble and all the arguing and fighting and horrible feelings at Haneda Airport to then be cramped. Terrible. It was pretty stupid. I don't have a ton of experience with Jal, but I don't have good experience with them either. Oh, like, yeah. I think I've been on like maybe one or two of their flights mm-hmm. and I don't remember any of them being good to the point where I only fly A&A now. If I'm, oh, really? Like, in Japan. You're anti-JAL. Like, I didn't know. I, yeah, 
I I tend to, to as soon as I have a bad experience with an airline, I will write them off quickly because it's not worth it. You're spending thousands of dollars in some cases. Like yeah. the least they could do is have decent customer service. On all of our stuff, we spent like $4,000 because it's two adult oh, yeah. tickets plus uh 10% like boost for the child. And I, yeah. I mentioned that to the JAL staff. I was like, you understand we've paid $4,000 for this and you yeah. can't make a phone call to get our yeah. tickets that yeah it, but at the same time when i'm searching for flight tickets um i just go with whatever's possible because i have to make so many connections to get all the way to kentucky and yeah that's um, true yeah i just take whatever's available so i'll badmouth them and then give them more money in the future you know i think we should we can maybe like clump them together with our our you know dis on jlpt segment yeah the JL, jlpt bash session yeah the jlp tal or something like that we, it's gonna be a whole segment uh the segment will be like uh why have you crossed me or how dare you <laughs> you've made a powerful enemy today my friend with its own theme music uh but in all this travel um there's some nice like uh, uh when you go to the u.s and you encounter staff then you right. see like how the u.s operates and then in japan you're used to it but also in the flights You'll go from flights that are staffed by Japanese people in a Japanese airport and then to flights mm. that are staffed by American people in an American airport. And it's just such an easy comparison to make. But mm. um, I think there's definite positive and negatives to both. So what I came away with culturally on this one is that Japan's positives are that they're uh, like exceptionally courteous and exceptionally like professionally dressed. And mm. like they're just so, so... Um, they must be suppressing so much to do what they do <laughs> and just to, like uh, deal with everything that they have to. And airport's a stressful right. job anyway, but they're consistently courteous and professional. And uh, I don't think you get it anywhere else in the world. I think that's pretty much just Japan is head and shoulders above everyone. Right. But the negative for that is that they're so strict with rules and doing things properly that it often hurts the experience overall. Like right. if they had just, I feel like in the U S someone would have said like, okay, your wife and you got through and we know that this child's supposed to be in your lap. So just go ahead. You know, somebody just would have said, get out of our face. We understand we're not checking all the boxes here, but we'll have a manager override it later. Just get out of here. And we'll take your bags and, and you can move on, you know. Right. But in Japan, it was like, well, his name is not technically in the box it needs to be in. So um, we'll have to wait another 45 minutes. And meanwhile, you like, you know, you miss your window for them taking your bags. You have to run around the airport again. So yeah. it's like they're so rule oriented. It's kind of like the trains always run on time. But for that level of being rule oriented, you're going to have to sacrifice some people's experience along the yeah. way. When common yeah. sense would dictate that you can just like kind of paper over that little crack and make everything run that much more smoothly. Yeah. I think it's like, it's, it's not really like good customer service. Like the, the term omotenashi is supposed mm -hmm. to mean like customer service. And, but really it just comes down to, I think like amicable service <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> where it's never really good and they don't really care that you're there. <laughs> yeah. It's like there will be a smile on everyone's face their clothing will be impeccable and yeah. they're going to give you like three different gift bags um, for your one item that you purchase. But each gift bag will have six pieces of plastic in it. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's maximizing customer service. But then sometimes something happens where if just one staff member would take it upon themselves to look the other direction and be like, you're fine, don't worry about it, then things would go so much more smoothly, I think. But of course, that could be like a little uh, crack in the dam and then the whole thing falls apart or something. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) But on the U.S. side... The negative to the U.S. side is that people are wildly rude, like go out of their way to be rude to you. And Mm. the funny thing to me is that it's to the point of them looking stupid often because they'll be incredibly rude about something. And then you'll be like, oh, no, no, I wasn't trying to do that. And then like their whole rudeness was for nothing, you know, and then (laughs) like, how could you live your life that way to be that much of a jerk all the time? And then half the time you were wrong, but then you just continue being a jerk. Like, that's what I don't get about U.S. customer service either. Like, you would think you would be eventually, like, cowed into being a little bit nicer just to not look so arrogant and dumb. But it doesn't happen. Yeah, it doesn't happen. just go with it. (laughs) So uh, that's on a person-to-person basis, though, in the U.S., because some people are really good in the U.S. In Japan, it's uniformly everyone looks and acts perfectly. In yeah. the U.S., you have some great employees and some absolutely yeah. horrible, rude people, and uh, yeah. they don't hide it. There's a lot of variation. Yeah. yeah. We got a lot of the, uh, like, it was just such a comedy of errors, like where um, I walked up to get, you get on the plane early with the baby because you're kind of like, you know, people who need extra time, come on. And I think it's even like before military members and stuff. So with the baby, you're kind of first in line. And we walked up to an, a certain area and the woman was like, no, 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 no. Like that to <laughs> me and, the Yumi and Nico walking up. And instead of saying like, oh, excuse me, just stand behind this line or something. It was a, yeah. a no, no, a no, no, <laughs> like that kind of thing. And it was so stupid. And then I was like, oh, so we shouldn't, the other person told us to come here. And then she turned over to the side and was like, oh, are we accepting people? And they're like, yeah. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, scan your barcode here. And she just like went from like a wildly uncalled for rudeness into I was wrong and just went about her business. And uh, (laughs) then she sent us down the, uh, what do you call it? The jetway or the thing that you walk down to get on the plane. Oh, gangway? We got the, the, what is it? Gangway? Is it it? the gangway? I don't know. The thing that you walk down. (laughs) We walked down that. The thing way the thing way and the people on the plane who were cleaning it were not ready for us to be there so the lady had like doubly made a mistake by even letting us go and i was like wouldn't you just be embarrassed about yourself if you were like that but americans are not and uh that's wild to me it is pretty impressive i gotta say yeah yeah that much unearned confidence and then like it manifests itself as arrogance, and you never feel bad about it, though it's wrong half the time. Man, I feel like you're speaking about me half the time here right now. <laughs> yeah. This I'm is just an hearing, intervention. hearing myself in this. I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, a lot of your friends have had a long talk about you, Mark, and they thought the best way to bring it up oh, would be son of a for me to do it on this podcast. The whole episode no. was a ruse. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh the positive, though, for the U.S. people is that, like I was saying on the Japanese side, they won't step out of the the orderly path to get things mm-hmm. done. In the U.S., they absolutely will do that. And they'll kind of go above and beyond even to the point of bending the rule a little bit. And then you yeah. just handle problems. And the example for us was when on our first flight, we left one of our many, many carry-ons on that flight. And then we oh. walked through and we were on the second airplane. 
and we realized we had forgotten a whole carry on like a whole bag. And, um, I just asked one of the flight attendants, uh, an American lady. And I was like, Hey, uh, we just realized we forgot a bag. And she was like, Oh, what did it look like? And she was on her phone, like texting. I think it's like the, you know, airlines phones or whatever. And they have some, I don't know what you would call it, but like a message board or alert or something. And, uh, she was like, okay, okay. They're working on it. They're working on it. And she would come back like every three to five minutes and say like, okay, I know that somebody found it and they're trying to get it here. Don't know if it's going to happen. Here's what happens if we can't get it. Here's what happens if we can't get it. And she just broke it all down. And I pictured nice. somebody like carrying this bag, like a running back, just knocking people over <laughs> trying to get down to us. And then finally it made it to us with like 10 minutes to spare before the flight closed up and nice. you know doors closed and all that. So we got it. And I just, this might be um, me overstating, but I feel like if it happened in Japan, they would say like, we'll get you the forms to fill out when we arrive. You know, it wouldn't be like pulling strings and calling and doing alerts and sending someone on a special errand. It would be like, ah, there's a process. It'll cost you a hundred dollars and we'll handle it later. That's true. Although in in the same token though, I I could see like a Japanese worker, like just going himself and doing it and then coming back. Like I could see both extremes happening. Yeah. In my experience the day before yesterday, like with them not handling our bags and not communicating to the other airline, um, I just got the vibe that it's like, well, my job is to stand right here. So I will stand right here. And uh, you could have some, like maybe they have a very efficient system for handling that and maybe it would come through easily. I don't know. But um, I was just impressed that on the American side, it seemed to be a lot of wheeling and dealing and sending messages and talking to people and that sort of stuff, uh, which I didn't experience on the Japan side. So I don't know, Mm -hmm. like with many things in between the uh, Japan side and the U.S. side, I don't know which one is exactly desirable over the Mm -hmm. other. It just depends on the type of problem you're having at that moment. I think any more these days, I'd rather have some rudeness because then at least, you know, you're dealing with the person who's. I, I guess like like you're dealing with a person, I guess. <laughs> Rather yeah. than yeah. just like an entity who's yeah. kind of immovable. Like yeah. a person you can deal with. If they're being rude, you can talk your way around that. Yeah. But if you're dealing with an entity and you've just got a, a wall of rules in front of you, you really can't work your way around that so well. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, Ayumi and I were talking about that in terms of... Um, on the u.s side you feel like there's some authenticity at least to what's going on you can kind of navigate your way through um i guess on a flight it's a multivariable problem because there's so many things that are going on between security checks and ticketing and you know gates and all that sort of stuff uh if it's down to like the train like give me the japanese system for the trains any day of the week uh, where it's a more oh, straightforward yeah. kind of boarding and, uh, you know, traveling situation. Uh, when I was in the U.S., my sister and her husband came to visit us, and I went and picked them up at a train station. They took a train part of the way to to where we were. Where? And um, uh, they went from Chicago down oh, okay. to southern Illinois, and then I drove over from Kentucky and picked them up. And I was waiting in the parking lot at the Amtrak station and my sister sent me a message and said, it's going to be 25 minutes late. And I was like, trains can be late. (laughs) What? I'd never experienced that in my life. Like, how is it? I mean, it's on a rail. Just set it at the speed and arrive. Like, what are you talking about? Um, And uh, yeah, in Japan, I've just never had a late train other than I, I was trying to catch a train once in 
Kobe or something and it had hit a car and it's like, okay, I understand that. Yeah. But um, just like run of the mill. Um, yeah. Train delays. So yeah, I guess it, it's very situational, but in the airport, I guess, yeah. Give yeah. me the people who are themselves bulldozers and steamrollers and who will like get through stuff on your behalf. If you can get them to work with you. Yeah. I remember I had one situation I was flying and this is this is from the Japanese side, so this is a good story for I think it was A and A. I think that's why I like them so much. Mm-hmm. Like I was going back to the US and I had one of those rental Wi Fi units mm-hmm. and I forgot it in my bag and I took it through the international lounge area. Mm-hmm. And once you're in there, you can't get anything out. Mm. Like try to send something from the international area of an airport. <laughs> to anywhere in Japan and it's pretty much impossible. Mm. Like I had to go up to, I think it was the ANA and one of the ladies up there and just like for like 20 minutes, I was like begging her, like, please just put this in a post office box for me. (laughs) (laughs) And finally she just took it and accepted it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sweet. But it took a bit of finagling. Yeah. So you barreled through that one. I did. Yeah. Through the, the, like thick facade of rules that they have yes got through it. yes i managed well to done. get through it this uh this is a very small tangent but one time i was at kokoichiban of which i'm the main <laughs> proprietor <laughs> i'm confident saying nationwide <laughs> yeah i'm who they're talking about when they say ichiban um i'm the number one customer of kokoichiban in this country and uh everybody knows me there they know what i order and I walked into Kokuichiban and my phone was dead and I had my charger and I was like, there was an outlet right next to the table. And I was like, do you mind if I just plug this in? And she was like, uh, I'll go talk to a manager. <laughs> in the US, this would be like, the staff would say, I don't care. Like, do whatever you yeah. want. But she would like, talk hold to on, me. let me unplug my phone real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then she would have gone back to the manager and said like, ah, you know, the guy who is solely responsible for our stock price being as high as it is, and who gives <laughs> us more money than anybody else in this country. Yeah, he wants to plug in his phone for 20 minutes. And the manager was like, oh, we don't do that. <laughs> so she came back and she was like, yeah, you, those are not for public use. And it was just like, come on. You have to understand like how that <laughs> leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Whereas in the past, I've only ever had a good taste in my mouth at Kokoichiban. <laughs> Come on. Nice, nicely played. Uh, so, of course, I didn't hold it against him. I'm like, I know you're a prisoner of the rules. I get it. And uh, I continued to patronize that wonderful they restaurant. They don't have outlets at the seats? Not in those days. I don't know if they do anymore. They've actually oh. torn down at Kokoichiban since then, probably because of the ill will that was built into the walls from that point. You forward. stopped going but, to that one. <laughs> I stopped and it crumbled, uh, but they tore it down and built a new one in its place. And I haven't been there yet. So I'm, I want to go uh, and see the outlet situation, just plug all kinds of stuff in. <laughs> Prove my point. Um, but right. anyway, that's the kind of thing that you have to deal with. I mean, that's pretty, that's the longstanding critique of Japan from the Western standpoint mm. is, uh, Man, there are a lot of rules. But, of course, on the positive side, man, there are a lot of rules. That's nice that things are orderly sometimes. Well, I've got uh, one more thing to talk about in the form of a McQuiffy for you. Oh, okay. Um, oh. I feel like I should get into some updates. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I don't have mean... much. I don't have much, but I feel like there's a couple things I should mention. So, Coda right now, nine months. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's sitting by himself. He's 
feeding himself small pieces of food and he's drinking from a straw by himself. Excellent. So wow. he's doing really good. But we had a, uh, a big scare last week actually with feeding. Oh, and yeah. we've been transitioning from like the <clears throat> more pureed foods to chunkier stuff that he can mm-hmm. kind of chew. It's still soft and it's still like pretty smushy. I think like we're also adding in new foods. So it's like a, it's like a perfect storm of new food tastes, new textures and mm-hmm. solids. So it, uh, one day it just kind of turned into like kind of a shit show and, uh-huh. uh, it got really scary. Like at one point, like he was eating, but he was kind of crying in between, but it looked like he was chewing and swallowing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so Moe would feed him a little bit more and then he'd kind of chew and cry. And then at one point he just stopped and started like bawling. And uh, <clears throat> turns out he had all that food still in his mouth and he was uh-huh. just kind of holding on to it because it was gross and he didn't know what to do with it, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and then he just suddenly started choking on it because obviously he's a crying baby. There's a ton of food in his mouth and you know, where does it all go? It tries to go in. Yeah. Which terrified me. Like I just kind of like grabbed the, little tray on his on his high chair ripped it off as fast as i could tried to get him out of the seat all the while like i think babies are pretty resilient and their bodies just know what to do he just Mm -hmm. like kind of naturally like got it out himself by the time i even picked him up out of the chair Uh uh-huh it still is like the most terrifying two seconds of my life so far yeah (laughs) yeah so you hadn't even lifted him, I guess. What was your plan? Did you have like real baby CPR in the back of your mind that you were going to employ? Or were you just going to like... Absolutely. I... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've taken, I've taken several CPR courses and they always cover baby CPR. And it's mm. different when they're like really infant baby and when they're like somewhat toddler baby. But yeah, I, I was going through it in my mind. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to grab him out. I'm going to pat it do that. But mm-hmm. by the time I even got him, he'd already fixed it himself. So, yeah, yeah. it um it makes sense as to why we're all still here and that we didn't die off like a thousand <laughs> right. generations ago. That even babies <laughs> right. can do some of the basic stuff themselves. So yeah, that's exactly. nice as a little fail safe. I'm always so pleasantly surprised when a baby like takes care of something <laughs> on his own. Yeah, like good job, pal. Yeah, uh, way to not die on that one. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, but we've been much more cautious now, and uh, it's been uh, good. Yeah, it's yeah, going excellent. Pretty well these days, then. Yeah, um, no such problems with Nico eating. He does occasionally. You'll notice, like especially around Christmas, you know, there's all like the tissue paper in bags and stuff uh, for oh. Christmas presents, and you would right. look over near Nico and you would see some of that tissue paper with like a little round bite taken out of it. <laughs> it's like a little bit wet along the edges. <laughs> and, uh, then you see him like with a worried look and kind of chewing on something. So that's happened three or four times, but never enough to be alarming. But I have seen like that's the odd paper fiber. towel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> little paper towels, pieces of paper um, with a cute little wet half circle bite taken out of it. <laughs> So uh, at least he's trying new foods. Yeah, exactly. He's experimenting. Um, well, good parenting to be uh, on your guard and ready with your baby CPR. That's right. something to my shame. I haven't really 
studied very much. I've reached into his mouth and pulled things out, uh, and I've patted him on the back when he's coughing, but I don't have like real CPR technique. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a good thing to get as a parent. It's kind of hard to find in Japan, though. I think in America, you could probably go down any weekend and do a quick couple hour course. But here, yeah. I haven't seen too many. I saw one in Kanazawa, I think it was last year, but mm. it was over in like two weekends and they haven't done it since, I think. Mm. Well, I'll, at the very least, YouTube it or something. And yeah. Figure it out. Worth a watch. All right. Well, um, McQuiffy time then. My McQuiffy for you is, uh, and this may relate into slightly into what you were talking about before, but are there any changes to you, Mark, emotionally since having the baby? Um, this mm. is the kind of thing you hear about often, like um, another podcast I listen to just about basketball. One of them mentioned <laughs> that like, oh, I've, I saw that commercial during the game and I cried, man. <laughs> They're like, what? And he was like, ever since I had a kid, I just cry at these commercials. Uh, so do you notice any of that in yourself? I mean, you had the scariest day of your life. That's one thing, or the scariest two right. seconds of your life, but in general, broader terms. Yeah, I'd say definitely. I'm, I think much more emotive than I was. I guess mm -hmm. before Coda, mm -hmm. then, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything specific, but we've been watching this show. Uh, uh, this is us. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, I don't think so. Just a daily life drama. I think it's got like five or six seasons and it's about like these triplets that are born. One of them dies and then another one gets adopted and, so then they're still triplets and it's about their life and it's a pretty emotional show. And I find myself at times like getting caught up in that. Whereas I think before I probably wouldn't have as much mm -hmm. and maybe not like during commercials crying, but yeah, I could see it happening for sure. <laughs> yeah. There's you? just, Oh, for sure. And there's just something like uh, emotionally to latch onto because you yeah. have the, the kid yourself and then all of the, uh, say, scenarios, even in TV shows or whatever, um, they just all seem a lot more real. And then you can immediately think like, oh, the consequences of that would be so bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Whereas before you might not have had the frame of reference for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe so the reality sort of, of being a parent has finally sunk in and what that means. Yeah. Well, um, the way I noticed it, and you can tell me if um, this happens for you when you go back to the U.S., but uh, we were there for quite a long time, and then Nico's like growing up and then making a lot of attachments, and then it was way, way, way sadder to leave the U.S. for me this time than any other time that I've left the U.S., like when mm -hmm. I left the first time just to come to Japan at all or the, you know, 10 or 12 times I've been back since when you leave, you're like, oh, yeah, we had a good time and oh, it sucks to go and that sort of thing. But this time was like deeply, deeply sad to like, you know, basically cut off the baby. And I think it was from his connections, you know, to 
uh, grandparents right. and cousins and aunts and uncles and stuff that he had forged for four months and gotten comfortable with all these people. And then like, especially playing with his cousins almost every day and that sort of stuff. And then you're just like, well, I'm the adult and I'm deciding that we're taking this away from you now. Sorry about your relationships, <laughs> you know? And uh, I think thinking about it from his perspective or he's just innocently going along. Um, but then we're just sort of taking that away and he doesn't even know that it's happening. That was mm. very deeply sad to me this time. So yeah. um, that's something, I don't know if it was just me, but um, all you new parents out there, be ready. It's a sad, think, sad thing. I think that's unique for you because your oh, family yeah. is so massive and so close. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of kids like around his age too, that he could get more attached to, I think. Uh-huh. For me, my family's very disconnected. My immediate uh-huh. family's in Seattle. My extended family's all in Pennsylvania. So when mm-hmm. we go back to Seattle, it's like, I'll see my dad, my sister, and her kids, which are in their 20s now. Mm-hmm. And so there's not really that connection that you guys share. Like, I'm not close to my sister, whereas you're close with all of your sisters. And yeah. Thing. So when we go back, it'll more be like, we'll be hanging out with more friends that I've had over the years and seeing how he connects with them mm-hmm. as well as my family. But I don't think there'll be that like deep connection that you guys had in Kentucky. Yeah. Cause we just don't have that kind of thing. I never did. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, yeah. Keep it on your radar and see what you think if it's any degree or, you know, uh, if it's any sadder at all. Um, right. For me, it was like the final two days. I mean, like 48 hours of being in the U.S. It was just like a full on like, this is horrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is horrible what I'm doing now. Um, so, yeah, it was certainly pronounced in our case. It sounds like this was also like one of your best experiences going back. Yeah. So that probably aided to that like dread of returning. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, being so free and being there for so long, you can really get into things like on a daily basis or, you know, um, you can get into routines, basically. Whereas even if you go back for a month, you're not really in those routines. So so that was a big difference. Definitely. Anyway, McQuiffy out. Potty time. Potty. Today, I have got one because this is coming out on the same day as Seijin Nohi, which is the coming of age day in Japan. And I'm not going to go into as much detail as Justin usually does, but um, Seijin loosely translates to becoming an adult, whereas Jin is the person and Sei is the, uh, the word. Uh, usually, I think it's Nadu which means to become. Mm. So you're becoming a person or becoming an adult. And then no heed is just the possessive of day. So it's that day. Yes, the seijin no he. I uh, see this in the newspaper every year when it happens. The thing that always blows me away is that it's in January, so it's cold and often snowy and slushy for half the right. country at least. And uh, especially the girls wear like a really nice kimono and that means mm-hmm. they have the tabi socks and sandals. So you see these right. pictures of girls in sandals and socks 
walking through like <laughs> snow covered slush covered sidewalks and it always looks horrible to me that you must have cold wet feet all day long in january on say january right. i've never been through it so i don't know what other emotions are wrapped up in it it just seems very very cold to me i think there's a lot of inside stuff going on for sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would hope so. Everybody get outside and take pictures. Yeah, they may have feet warmers inside. I don't know. Fresh socks. Anything could be happening. Yeah, a lot of heat tech. Uh, kimono branded heat tech. Like I should say, uh, Seijin no heat only happens when kids go from 19 to 20. Mm-hmm. Technically in Japan, 20 is the age of adulthood. And yeah. uh, working at a college... Um, at this time of year, you get a lot of absences because you'll have kids that age who go home. You, I suppose uh, you usually go to your hometown for your um, Seijin no Hi ceremony. So um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I don't think it's an excused absence. I think the kid just, a lot of our students just make the decision, like, I want to go back and participate in this. And uh, you'll have a lot of absences like that day. I don't imagine this is very similar to like America when a kid turns 21. Yeah. Usually when kids turn 21 in America, they just go out to a bar and get yeah. drunk. It's mostly but about the shots. Here, I think it's more of like a family event and like more ceremonial. Yeah. And there's uh, at like some city building, there's like some uh, larger ceremony where all the kids gather and, and mm. I don't know what happens there. I uh, moved to Japan when I was 23, so I did not have my own Seijin no Hi at all, nor did I know anyone at that age, really. Well, we'll find out in 19 years and tell you about it then. (laughs) Oh, we'll be on the inside. That'll be nice. (laughs) Okie dokie. Well, dad jokes then. I got two. What do you got? I've got two. Okay. Do you want to lead us off? Yeah, I'll start... uh... Okay, what do you call a bear without any teeth? I don't know. A gummy bear. Mmm, nice. <laughs> Simple? Uh, why did the laptop go to the dentist? Ooh. I know a baby laptop calls his father Dada. Um, <laughs> but why did he go to the dentist? Uh, I don't know. He had Bluetooth. <laughs> okay. I just had one blister. Just to follow that dentist theme. <laughs> he wanted to fix it. All right. Uh, wait, wait, wait. What else do I got? Okay. What does a nosy pepper do? I have no idea. No idea. A nosy pepper gets jalapeno business. Oh, man. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think I was supposed to say nosy pepper gets jalapeno. Jalapeno. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. Nice. All right. All right. What's the weatherman's favorite food in winter? Uh, mm, man, I'm so used to Japan. All I can think of is like nabe and stuff. So it doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. A burrito. Burrito. Good, good, good. <laughs> We had kind of a theme going with our jokes. They kind of, they synced up. It was good this time. <laughs> they did a lot of food. And then the one that wasn't about the food was about going to the dentist. It's perfect. Teeth and food. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at Podcast or by email at info at jpops.com 
we'll talk to you next time. Jalapeno time!